0: Hey babes, grab your glass and raise it high. Cheers to you. Babe, we're so happy you're here. Welcome to Beverage Babes, where we invite all women with their favorite beverage in hand to have a seat at the table and share their heart, their journey, and their experience with all the topics in life. At our table, we'll have a safe place where women can
1: come together. We'll celebrate differences and create an environment for healthy and honest conversation, even if we don't all agree. This is a judge-free zone, ladies. We're here to be real and to talk about things that might be hard to talk about, but we'll honor each other as we do because you're important, babe.
0: Grab your drink of choice and let's dig in. Babes. Welcome to another episode of The Beverage Babes. Laura and I are here and we're super excited about this episode because here's the reality. There's not really a title, there's not really a theme, there's not really a purpose, but there is a story and it is the story of one Anna (laughs) Molinari. So we have Anna here today. Hey, Anna. Hi, guys. How are you doing?
1: Good. How are you? Good. Good.
0: Laura, how are you doing?
1: Oh, I'm great. (laughs) Because Anna put a really great drink in front of me, and um, we'll get there in a second. (laughs) You're
2: welcome.
0: So, guys, Anna is a semi-normal. Semi. Because
2: we can't go with full. No. It's definitely not full normal. (laughs) Who is? (laughs)
0: Who is? A semi-normal 30-year-old mom flying by the seat of her comfy sweatpants. Yeah, I love it. Her heart is for authenticity and passion in every aspect of her life. She is a children's book author and jack of some trades. Currently living at home, hashtag... Millennial. Really pumped
2: about it.
0: (laughs) Hashtag same. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Uh, Living at home with her parents. She's a fiancé and she has a beautiful three-year-old daughter. So Anna, welcome to the show. Hey guys. So <laughs> glad to have you.
2: So pumped! I'll try to refrain from doing lots of accents and strange voices. It's <laughs> okay.
0: We need some of that in our lives. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh yeah. So, Anna, we're gonna let you kind of open this up so you can kind of share with our listeners, like, okay. what's going on, what we're talking about, what your vision is for this conversation, um, because it is sort of, you know, your own personal journey. Mm-hmm. So, let us in.
2: Hmm. Well. <laughs> Um, gosh, I think whenever I sit down with anyone and get to share any part of my story or my history um, and this is even when I wasn't walking with the Lord, it, it was just always from a place of so many people feel alone. That's not something that's new, mm-hmm. certainly, but it's pervasive in our culture. Um, and I think if anyone can walk away from hearing someone else's story and feel like an ounce of comfort um, that, I've accomplished my goal, so.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, so we're going to get into sort of nitty gritties of who Anna is, where she's been, what she's up to now.
2: Brace yourselves.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And uh, a little excitement in the middle. Yeah. yeah. But first,
1: since we are the beverage babes. Anna, will you tell our listeners what this beautiful, beautiful drink is?
2: So this is my fiancé's fault um, because he was (laughs) a bartender. But it's Southern Tier Cold Brew Coffee Pump King. It's amazing. And then we uh, did a rim of a sea salt caramel. And sugar in the raw and cinnamon, mm-hmm. and it's to die for. Mm-hmm. It's real good. It's and like, guys, cool.
1: you should like really make sure you're looking at social media or a website because it's beautiful. Like it's, it's just like <laughs> She did it so perfectly. It's yeah. wonderful. And this gets
0: us into fall season finally. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Hey, yeah. yeah. I know.
1: I dressed for I'm summer, ready. but <laughs> drank
2: for
0: fall.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was the goal <laughs> today. Good. Yeah. I like
1: it. And like I'd love it. to like get a plug because I don't know that we'll talk about it. Maybe maybe you have it in plan, but I'd love to get a plug for the book that okay. we uh, said you, you know you're an author so yeah. let us know what your book is about sure okay we can do that
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh like right now great <laughs> right. i was like do you mean like at the end because okay good but i was like she letters.
0: means now but... okay
2: so gosh goodness gracious the co- really cool thing about the book is that it's actually not my idea um and you guys mostly already know this but um when i was a kid. Um, we did not have very much and we didn't have cable. So a lot of what we did in terms of playtime was always imagination-based. And that is all thanks to my wonderful mother, um, who was a play genius, if you will. (laughs) Um, But when we would all like pile into the car or late at night, she would improvise these stories about a talking tarantula, who lived in the sock drawer of a little girl named Susie. And um, they would go on all these like zany adventures. And I remember her like falling asleep at night telling us these stories and like poking her being like, mom, come on, like, don't stop telling, finish the story. (laughs) Um, And they were such warm memories for me. Some of the warmest of my childhood. And uh, when I was pregnant with Morgan, I, it was really important to me to get them down and as mom and I were writing them, she, she asked me if, if we could pursue publishing. And I was like, this was not what I, I always wanted to be a writer and have a published work um, and was going to pursue that until the day I died, regardless of whether or not it happened. And uh, so I never imagined that the first book, I was like, okay, well, let's think about this. The first book of my writing career is going to be a children's book. That's not <laughs> something I saw coming. Um, but the way it grew and kind of morphed as we did it was like such a rich experience. Um, and so, yeah, now it's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Tommy Tabatsky Tarantula, the third, (laughs) the sock drawer (laughs) incident.
0: Uh, It's a mouthful. Yeah, it is. But yeah, she made up that name and everything.
2: It's crazy.
0: Yeah. But what a cool project to have. It's like a memory, too. Oh, oh my yeah. gosh, yeah.
2: And that's I, one of the things I said was I don't care how many copies it sells. Like, it's amazing to it's amazing. open it and be like, Morgan, Cece told me these stories so when I was a kid. I love
0: it. I yeah. love it. Okay, so you heard it here first. Well, you didn't because she's had it on social media. But, you know. <laughs> here, you've heard it here, here, right here first right here, right here, on right, Beverage Base. Literally. <laughs> and we'll make sure that we link it and if you guys want to check it out. It is an entertaining story. Mm-hmm. Okay, guys. So here we go. (laughs) Anna, we're going to talk about your journey and most of it being related to your church experience, your faith experience, but really tied to who you are and where you've been and what you're doing. So if you want to kind of just start by sharing kind of your history where, you know, not from day one, but (laughs) 30 years (laughs) ago, you grew up in a Christian home, you grew up in the church, you grew up in sort of what others would say was like, you know, picture perfect kind
2: of. Yeah, I mean, living. yeah, the charismatic Christian. I always used to joke that I started going to NC4, which is our which, church. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the womb, because <laughs> um, that was the case. You know, I have three older brothers and sisters, and that was just that was where my parents met. Was when it was like a small, basic, like home church, mm-hmm. um, and so that was that was where I was raised. I mean, I was raised in the church, and I think that. I mean, I have a lot of thoughts on the way that we raise kids in church. Um, I did air quotes. You guys can't see that. Um,
0: That's like previewing for another episode, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> like in conversation. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Because um, I have a lot of thoughts on everything. One of my many uh, foibles. Um, but yeah, raised in the church and grew up going to youth group, going to Sunday school. Um, you know, I got a lot of flack even from church kids in Sunday school because I always had the answers. Um, And, like, knew the Bible verses and was very good at um, being the good Christian girl. And I think, too, I I don't want to miss the fact that even in in that performative aspect of my story, um, I'll never forget in Sunday school when they gave the lesson of the very cliche, like, Jesus talks to you and you can hear his voice. Um, I was like, cool. Hi, Jesus. And he was like, hi, Anna. Um, And so that from a very young age, I always heard God's voice very clearly. And that grew into something that was quite a a struggle for me in my teenage years. Um, Because I always say that like the very um, graphic representation of like the proverbial devil and angel was Mm -hmm. always very clear to me because I heard Satan as clearly as I heard God. But also I had so many friends who didn't hear God's voice Mm -hmm. and didn't hear from God. Mm -hmm. Um, And it became this thing of like, later in life when I walked away from the church where I really thought that I was like mentally ill because Mm. of hearing Mm. these voices so clearly Mm. um so I hope that covers his background yeah
0: no that's great that's great and before we kind of get into the thick of it of the conversation you sort of mentioned it a little bit but what are you kind of hoping to accomplish through the conversation that we're really about to have like what what do you want our viewers to hear throughout the next 45 minutes or an hour or so
2: um, my eyes did a big thing when you asked me that, because even though we already <laughs> talked about this, um, I feel the weight of um, people. Mm. I, I tend to be really uh, empathetic, and I think I know that there are a lot of people who, um, I mean, not only feel bitterly towards the church, because that's not even the point of my story necessarily, but I know that there are a lot of people who eat, are in the church and feel alone. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and feel like they have questions. I remember being younger and feeling like I had a million questions and nowhere to go with them. Um, and that was really isolating because my questions were exploratory by nature. Mm -hmm. And at, at the age that I was being raised in, in the, in the charismatic Christian church, um, you know, you didn't ask questions. Um, it was very much like, this is the truth and, you know, here's the extrapolation of that truth, the end. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's not how I function. (laughs) That's not healthy for me. Um, (laughs) So I think it's more so that um, the goal of my story will ever be, whether I'm 80 or now, is solidarity and that people find themselves hearing it and resonating with it and feeling like that exhale that they've been waiting for. Because that's been my goal as a mom, too, is like to say the things that most people aren't comfortable saying, not for shock value, but um, just because that's been the truth of my story. Yeah. So.
0: That's amazing. So good. Okay, so while you were growing up in the church, while you were sort of in the thick of your faith as a young person, mm-hmm. what were some of the things that you noticed about your heart, knowing God, um, seeing Him, understanding your faith? You know, what were these things that you went through to sort of figure mm-hmm. out what was faith to you?
2: Um, so, like I said, I always heard God's voice from a really young age. And you can, it's hard to, um, I think with anyone's story, sometimes we use this broad paintbrush Um, as to like what raising a kid in the church is supposed to look like. Um, And you can't use a broad, the only broad paintbrush you can use is to constantly be listening to the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. um, and make sure that it lines up with biblical truth because um, everything else is basically a wash Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, with the example of you talking about Crosby loving puzzles and Morgan likes puzzles, but she's totally more on the imagination spectrum. And so the way that the Holy Spirit's going to talk to her is going to be Miles different oh, than the yeah, way he talks absolutely. to Crosby. And, and so the way we parent each of our kids has to look very different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so knowing that, there was the hiccup of, um, from the get-go, I don't know if it was being raised in a large family um, where there was – I don't want to use the word dysfunction. It's just we're people and we're all human. And there was a lot of different dynamics going on and a lot of beautiful, strong personalities. Mm -hmm. Um, But it really caused me to go within because Mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure everyone else was taken care of. Mm -hmm. Um, And that started as something really beautiful that is a gift that God's given me that was completely twisted into like, well, don't be a burden though. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) and, And so I from a very young age, have vivid memories of being like, let's not talk about that because we don't want to disturb people. Um, and and so that was a huge flaw. And there's, that's no one's fault, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? But that was a huge flaw in my upbringing and caused me to really grapple with a lot of the harder things completely on my own.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and when I did start to let people in, it was always... Men for the most part. Mm. Um, And that was... And it was always, like, through a romantic vein, which is unhealthy. (laughs) Because those can't be the relationships that you build, like, deep foundations Mm -hmm. on solely. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I feel like I ventured away from the question a little bit. But I loved going to church um, because it... the, I think I I did get certain things about it that I carried through to who I am now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think a lot of that was I just love who God and the Holy spirit and Jesus are. Mm -hmm. Um, and I did see that through like tinted lenses when I was younger, but I did see it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of my closest friends were in the church. I felt really out of place in public high school, um, because of the way I was raised, which was partially, yes, I was a Christian, but also I read so much. And even at that time, like I was, you know, in high school, I graduated in 2008 and that was a time where like being a nerd was not nerd culture was not mainstream um and i wasn't even like super nerdy i wasn't like into comic books or anything but i i loved books um and i read way more than my classmates um and made it through senior year writing a lot of people's college essays um for money obviously um not out of the goodness of my heart um but uh, so it, so church felt safe because there was a lot of like-mindedness there. And those kids also tended to be a little bit more isolated, usually super well-read.
0: Which is so funny because yeah. mine was totally opposite. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> I know. So like, so I, that was just my
2: group then, yeah, I maybe. guess. It was a lot of
0: homeschoolers. It was...
1: I, <laughs> yeah. yeah see, no. You get it. You get it.
0: <laughs> but I grew up in the, you know similar experience. I grew up in the church. I love church, but... I did not like hanging around church friends. Mm. I didn't go to youth group.
1: This is why Sarah and I didn't become (laughs) friends until like six years ago. It's hysterical. But I
0: didn't go to youth group, I didn't like the kids. I thought Mm. they were fake. Like I actually found such genuineness in my Liberty High School crew Mm. because I thought this, these people know what they're talking, they're not pretending to be anything, they just are. Right. And there was no, I had no fault to them, because I thought, oh my gosh, this is authenticity. Like, right. I felt like I was lacking that in the mm. church. So it's really interesting, where like, the church was not my safe place.
2: I think mm. that also has to do sometimes, uh, I'm going to say this as a stretch, but sometimes it has to do with income brackets. Mm. Um, mm. I went to a school that, was re- filled with really prolific families mm-hmm. people who had a lot of money mm-hmm. and my class was my graduating class was 212 people yeah. so the kids that I went to second grade with I graduated yeah. high school with yeah. um, and there's not a lot of room for change or mm-hmm. authenticity it was Hellertown yep. um, so that was not you know it was not I had f- good friends in high school And there's several that I can name that were, like, really, really good people. But in terms of, like, mass group appeal where I was like, these are my people. I love being with you. That was my church, friends. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's really interesting. (laughs) So having that, like, having the close-knit world, right? So church was safe for you. Church was Mm -hmm. where you went. Your crew was there. Your people were there. Yeah. Where did you start to see it shift and change to where Mm -hmm. it didn't feel like a place of home anymore?
2: Probably... My 20s, I would say, Um, and it started a lot younger than that because at the end of the day, uh, and this is something that God spoke to me more recently about that I shared with Laura like when she and I got together, was not realizing I spent, uh, I mean, a lot of my hiccups in the church when I was younger was the fact that I believed in karma Mm. and Mm. not the gospel yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. that's gonna be a bit of a hang up yeah. um but I think that was also like there was this um heavy reliance on like preaching about the gospel and the, you know it was a salvation message ultimately which was like you're a sinner in need of saving yes. and so you know when even, even once you come to Jesus you still need saving because you're still a sinner mm-hmm. um and God's been taking me on this really cool journey of like sin has no power over you now we're right. on a sanctification journey
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. um and the, the release was, I mean, that was an emotional journey for me because it was like realizing, and this was also with years of therapy, um, as like a plug because I needed that. I was very anti-therapy when I was younger, but that came from a place of deep fear. Um, cause I did yeah. not want to be known or seen. I wanted to be known and seen, but I didn't want to be known or seen. Right. And, and so realizing like, wow, like my, journey with God has nothing to do with how good I am Mm -hmm. and they do talk about that but there's still this like but make sure you're still doing the right things Mm -hmm. you know are you doing the 12 disciplines Mm -hmm. have you fasted lately (laughs) um and those things (laughs) are important I don't I know I don't want to diminish those things (laughs) right um but it's when we make the you know like there's a reason Jesus says that he came to crucify the law and it's because when we begin to put what we're doing ahead of what he says well we've already taken a big step sideways right And I did a lot of that. I was very, um, do oriented Mm -hmm. and that's just like soil for, Mm -hmm. for separation. Coming
0: up short. You were always coming up short. Exactly.
2: And I was, you know, one of the things that we covered when I was in therapy was like my, like basically my deepest wound. Mm -hmm. And it was that I'm not good enough. And that like, when she said those words, she was like, does that resonate with you? This was early on in therapy. And as best as I could control myself through weeping tears I was like yeah I can't even tell you the number of journal entries I have for my teenage years where I was like I just wish I could be good enough Mm. and it's so hard you know I I tell people all the time like we need to give teenagers so much more slack than we give them (laughs) because being a teenager is hard hard. it is to date the hardest stage of my life well
0: and today especially too it's like it's a whole new world yeah Yeah. you
2: can't you couldn't pay me No. no and
0: it's like to try to maneuver that with the world of, like, right, we were saying social media happened when I was in college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And it's, at high
2: school for me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so
0: it's like, I didn't have to worry about the world knowing some private areas of my life. Mm-hmm. I truly could not imagine. No, I agree. Oh there, my needs, gosh, there, no. there needs to be an element of grace with even our, I mean, young kids, like you said, yep. because I do think if you don't, it's almost like you just said, it it allows the soil to be soft, that they sink instead of plant.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with that. And I think, you know, part of the difficulty for me in my twenties was, um, a lot of like the, you know, the soil that was there, a lot of pain was planted. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, that was what grew ultimately. And there was a lot of confusion for me. Um, I have a bleeding heart. And so I think years and years and years of not having healthy boundaries with the world, but yeah. also intimate relationships yeah. caused me to take on a lot of the world's pain. And it became like, mm. if the world is in pain, how can I buy into a lot of what I've believed my whole life? Because the world is in pain. Mm. And that's and and of Incongruous. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, and so I think it, it was really my twenties. I was, I was working a lot and, and sur- began to surround myself with people who did not share the same beliefs as me. Um, and I began to manifest a lot of, I never had healthy coping strategies. Um, and I'm still working on that in some aspects, but I just, instead of f- Figuring it out and feeling like I had a space to figure it out. I just was like, I'm going to drink and sleep with a whole bunch of people because that's going to turn out really well. <laughs> Great I have, plan. Yeah, I have a huge endorsement for that. Uh- <laughs> Yeah, it was super healthy. Um, so, oh, God. yeah. And so that was, I basically, um, I, you know, I did the, I did all the things I was supposed to do. Um, I, you know, I went to church all the time. I got married really young to someone who loved Jesus and it was, but it was all done. Something else the Lord's been speaking to me about is it all was from a place of fear. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no love in it. It was all like, if I don't do this, then my life will look like this. Yeah. Um, and so that was why I got married was like, if I don't marry this person, no one nice will ever love me. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I jumped on the first decent human being I'd ever dated to be like, let's get married.
0: Yeah. And so do you think
2: like in your journey
0: point, Mm -hmm. how old were you when you got married?
2: Um, 23, I think. Okay. Mm -hmm.
0: And so in that point where you already having these massive internal battles yes
2: unequivocally
0: and what happened kind of from that point of getting married young feeling like you were checking off the to-do list of being a good girl that's a christian yeah after already kind of experimenting before you got married had you sort of experimented in the drinking and yes right so this was in your brain did you feel like it was a way of coming back to status of Good Christian girl or?
2: No, I think it was a life preserver. I think it mm. was just like, I, cause I did you know, they say that like people who are drowning, if you, if that's what you have to have something with you for them to hold on to, because if you let them grab onto you, they're going to pull you down. Yeah. And I was, I was a drowning cat of mm. just like anything, any life raft I can possibly grab and knew I was drowning, mm. but again, didn't know how to had never ever been in the place. I got together with a really good friend of mine who just moved to Colorado Uh, And we got together right before she moved and our friendship kind of fractured when I got a divorce because she really couldn't, Mm. she she was having trouble wrapping her mind around like, why would you want to leave someone who's like decent? And it really fractured our friendship. And when she and I got together, we had this really healing conversation that I'm going to try not to get emotional about, but she basically was like, I was so used to you being, Anna's always okay. Mm -hmm. Anna's always fine. Mm -hmm. So it was so hard for me to wrap my head around Mm -hmm. how not fine you were. And then, like, because I, like, ruined her birthday. And, you know, there was just really hard things that happened where she was like, what is your problem? And I was like, I'm dying. (laughs) I'm not (laughs) okay. But but I couldn't say those words (laughs) at that time. And so um, that was a, I mean, it was definitely not like, I'm going to be a good Christian girl again. Because I think at that point what had solidified in my heart was goodness is gone. Mm. I'll never be good again. Mm. Um, And so now I'm just going to like paste stickers and glue to try to keep myself from completely falling apart. And obviously that also ultimately failed. So,
0: yeah. I want to hear a little bit more about that part and your marriage and as much as you're comfortable talking about, but just sharing a little bit of the process, how long you were married and kind of where, how did the marriage hurt, harm, help? Mm. Like what, what did, what did that part of your life sort of,
2: look like yeah I mean I will only talk about like my, my side of it because I course, think that just, telling like course. your story is so yes mm-hmm, critical and crucial yeah um and uh gosh I was not married a very long time at all I think because it was doomed to fail from the beginning mm-hmm. um and that was ultimately yes it always takes two people to tango but that was no one's fault but mine in terms of just being like having already imagine entering a marriage already deciding right. i am a bad person yeah. who deserves to die ultimately yeah. Yeah. no one no one could say or do anything at that point to convince you otherwise because that's not something that can be done from the outside that's an internal work yeah. and so i mean long story short again i was working very intensely in a, in a really hostile unhealthy work environment and so i was unfaithful ultimately and it and i was very you know the one thing it's funny the things that we say to ourselves in the midst of like really tough situations. Cause I was like, I might be a curse word, but, um, <laughs> uh, but I, but at least I'm honest. I'm always going to be honest. And so I was honest right away and told the truth right away. And we were like, okay, well, I guess like we'll try to do this still anyway. Um, but with no help, no outside help, um, which is you can't, you literally can't function in where something like that has been so deeply fractured and broken on your own. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't... I was going to say, like, maybe some people... No, like, you just can't do it on your own. You need help. Mm -hmm. And neither of us were that type of person to be like, we need help. Mm -hmm. And so it just became this, like... I mean, imagine, like, a toilet flushing, Mm -hmm. but in ultra Mm slow-mo. And that was really what began to happen, is it just, like, created this wedge that drifted further and further and further apart. And eventually in the midst of, like, a deep, deep depression. I mean, I remember one of the things that I shared with my parents when I told them I was getting a divorce was I have never, I've never, in all the years that I've struggled with depression, I've never been the person that woke up in the morning and was like, I want to die. Never. And every day I woke up that way in that season. Um, And that wasn't just because I was married. That would be such a simplistic thing to say there was a lot going on internally of just like, I mean, the enemy was really hitting his like peak. Mm -hmm. You have absolutely no value here. And life is only always going to be like this. You're always going to hurt people. You're always going to disappoint people. And like, not just mildly, but in the most grievous ways you possibly Mm -hmm. could. And so I was just like, if all of this is inevitable, and that was a big thing that the enemy used against me was this level of inevitability, right? Ultimately I'm wholly bad, so it doesn't matter how hard i try cuz that was it was still it and you hear the echoes of like what i believed when i was a kid yep. this is all about what i can do good works mm-hmm. um, yeah good works good works and bad works yeah. um and so gosh it, i i think we'd been married for 2 years a little more than 2 years when i was like what are we doing mm-hmm. why are we doing this like mm-hmm. we do, i don't even know you we're not really married mm-hmm. anymore and i think at that point it was just like Uh, the nail in the coffin for me to be like, well, let's get divorced then.
0: And And how do you think, like, that whole journey, so the two years, whatever, how did the church respond? How did your friends, how did the the safe place that you knew respond? (sighs) Mm.
2: LOL. Um, (laughs) So this goes back to me not letting people in and being very walled off and closed off. So no one knew it was where it was at until I told both of my parents, We're getting a divorce. Like, there was no... I mean, you know, I remember I told my dad and he cried and he was like, so this isn't like you're asking for help. You need something. He was like, you're telling me that this is what's happening. Mm. And I was like, yeah. And I would say one of the most, at the time, thought-provoking responses I got was from my younger sister, Leah, who didn't cry at all. Um, (laughs) She was honestly... Leah is, like, next level sometimes. I want to punch her because she's so... (laughs) Um, where you're just like, why do you gotta say that though? <laughs> um, but the thing that she said was basically, Anna. She's like, I guess, I, I guess I'm feeling shocked because I thought we were friends, mm. Mm. and now I hear that you went through this. You're, you've been going through this really horrible thing, and you did it all on your own. Yeah. And that was the only time in that season that I was like, Am I doing the right thing? Mm. And also like, wow, I was a horrible friend, and it be, made me really question like, why do I. If I say that I'm friends with people, like in that season, Leah was my best friend. Mm. And I had never been like, things are really bad. I'm sinking. I need help. Mm. And so that to me was this, like, Leah helped throw kind of the first red flag of Mm. like, what are you doing, kid? Like, what's up? But she never, I mean, as far as the church was concerned, I already hadn't been going for quite some time. I definitely had a lot of people... Ask some people, ask me inappropriately, like, what's going on? Um, and we I was like, it's questions. none of your business. Yeah. So, and you know, to be fair with all of humanity, I was very good at keeping people at an arm's length. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't fault any human being in that scenario except for myself because I was like, you can try. You know, one of my best friends, um Lauren, even more recently, like, I had to apologize to her because I st- still carry echoes of that I got it 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 until like the ceiling is collapsing Mm -hmm. and I'm like you know like the little boy with his fingers in the dam kind of a thing and I'm like guys I don't got this (laughs) it's gonna blow (laughs) somebody help um so yeah so I think in that journey with the the church almost was excluded from that part of the story because Mm -hmm. I just wasn't there at that season so
1: so where since we've talked about friends and family Mm and talked about the church Where were you with God at that point? Like just in your relationship or like what had led up to this point with him?
2: I think when I, in that season, when I thought about God, I was just really angry because I felt abandoned to this inevitability of my own evilness, right? Which is like we taught, you know, the sinful man inside of all of us. Um, And I had latched onto that narrative and said like the inevitability of my own sin is what's causing all of this. Mm. And so I was like, how dare you give us a choice and mm. leave us to this? Because mm. like, what the F? Like, what? <laughs> yeah. Look at it. Like, look at And look at me. Like this, you know, you did this. And it was let. it wasn't like a, a casting off onto him of like victimhood. It was just like, you Real know. Emotion. Oh yeah, yeah. It was all raw. So I think yeah. I still was very communicative <laughs> in that season. Um, but it was very angry based you know a lot of like I'm gonna do the talking you don't get to talk right now Mm. and it was interesting because he was probably the most relational relationship Mm. I had where there was a lot of like sharing Mm. and truth in that season but like I said it was you know in that season also it was very clear that I heard like the enemy saying like you you're worthless and I was just like I believe you Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was like you're right bro um And, and I knew in my head that I was like, I know I'm not supposed to believe what you're saying, but like, let's look at empirical data, shall we? Yeah. Um, and, and in some senses, my ability to think a lot was my downfall in that season, because I was just like, you're asking me, God pointing upward, you're asking me to believe in something that has like zero, ta- there's nothing tactile about it. Like, I can't yeah. grab onto it, but I can grab hold to the fact that I'm a piece of crap. You know what I mean? Because that is like, I can pick those things up and be like, here we have evidence one. Like, you know, and and a lot of what I wrote in that season was about being before a judge, jury, and executioner and being like, here's the evidence. You know what I mean? And it's like laid out and it's plain. You're
0: like, I am guilty.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of it's interesting to see how my writings evolved, but leading up to the season where I was like, I'm done with the church, I'm done with God. I wrote a lot of stuff based on head knowledge, so it was like the scene of the courtroom. But Jesus saves me because I knew that that's what He did. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the evolution of my writing into the season where I wasn't walking with God and all that stuff is very good, but very dark. <laughs> yeah. uh, and there's yeah. no hope in it whatsoever. And it's just ultimately like leading up to you should just die probably because mm-hmm. um, there's no hope. So like, what's the point then? Mm-hmm. So.
0: Yeah, isn't that crazy too? Even in the world that we currently are living in, that's the one thing I think I struggle so often with is it feels hopeless, yeah. right? And we have a job and a duty as people who at least understand God, right? even going through it, you know, <laughs> right, a little, little bit that there is hope, right? There yeah. is something. So was, was there a point, was there anything that you start to see glimmers of hope or little speckles or twinkles of what, might be? Like, when did you start transitioning out of?
2: So what's really cool about this is, um, I always joke that I never do anything halfway. Mm -hmm. Um, so no, there was no like, Oh, I'm slowly Mm. trotting back. (laughs) God God was literally just like, I'm going to sucker punch you in the gut and you're going to be like, Oh my gosh. Um, so no, I think it was, it was years uh, two, I, I would say, like the darkest two or three years of my life, where I genuinely thought that. I mean, leading up to even having Morgan, because that I was, I didn't come back to God or the church until after she was born, and that was a season where there were moments, and even after that, because let's get real, it's not like Jesus is, like a band aid or anything right. or a cure all. <laughs> yeah. um, where I genuinely thought I was going to take my own life. Mm-hmm. And so, no, hopelessness was just, like, the. in fact, hopelessness was the thing that I came back to time and time again, was, yeah. like, there is no hope. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, the world only affirms that. Yes. By its very nature. Yes. So yeah.
0: yeah. And so, we talked about a, a Morgan. So, mm-hmm. who is Morgan? Morgan. <laughs> and I, when you start, when you talk about Morgan, so you got pregnant, you can talk about that journey. Yeah. But I'd also love to hear what your perspective was. So, when you found out you were pregnant, mm. what were you thinking about? What were... What was the reaction of your family, your friends? What was processing through your mind before you even spoke the words, I'm pregnant, to somebody?
2: That's a great question. (laughs) Um, So at that season, I, I found out I was pregnant in August of 2016. And leading up, I had told my family that I was getting a divorce in January of 2016. So a lot of what we see in terms of like echoes of like wanting to kill myself and all that stuff it makes a lot of sense because of the le- the jumps mm. in trauma, essentially. Mm. Um, like, going from one trauma to the next yeah. um, in a really short season. I remember um, that right before I found out I was pregnant um, was a season where I was, like, chug a chug, you know, very little <laughs> choo-chooing back into relationship with people in my family, particularly my parents, because mm. um, it had been very fractured, mm. understandably so. Like, you know, imagine... You know, yeah, just imagine someone who's very close to you sharing something that's like, my. I literally have to take time for my mind to wrap around this. And it affects your relationship. That's just, you know, there. if you're human, it affects your relationship. Yeah. But Leah and I stayed close through that season, as close as I would let anyone right. Um, in that season. So I was more, she did that interaction that we had while I was going through the divorce. When I, when she responded the way that she did, she definitely opened a door that was like... I hope you know that I prioritize not this like horrible thing, again, air quotes, horrible thing that you're doing, but I prioritize our relationship. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm, my heart hurts with you and for you. And that opened up this huge pasture for me to share more with her in terms of like, when I was feeling things. Um, And she was, in some ways was one of the first people I felt like did that so uh, straightforwardly. So, but with everyone else, very difficult thin ice relationships Mm -hmm. they were on thin ice with me not the other way right Right. (laughs) um and it was because in some way in some people's responses I felt offended or violated or whatever and so it was just and I understood that everyone was hurting and how often do you want to deeply interact with people you know you've deeply wounded Mm -hmm. so at that season I was just kind of like getting back wading into the water of familial relationship and had been seeing David for, like, on and off. We were not together, officially. Mm -hmm. And, in fact, right before we found out we were pregnant, we are like, you know what? Let's give this a shot for, like, real. Um, (laughs) Humans are so stupid and funny. Um... (laughs) But we, we were like, yeah, like, you know what, we're going to really try this. And David was like, you know, he's like, I know that you're going through all this stuff. Like, let's take things slow. We can go as slow as you want. And I was like, that's awesome. You're so great. And then a week later, I, like, showed up at his work, and I was like, so I'm pregnant. Um, <laughs> like, I appreciate everything that you said, but I just wanted so like, to know. like, when you
0: say slow, what is your meaning? Yeah, because I, Like, are we so, talking about the hair or the yeah, tortoise?
2: Yeah. <laughs> <are>. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But it was really sweet because I, I think, um, in that season at that moment, well, this is what was crazy. I was at work and I had not skipped a period or anything like that. And I was like typing something on my computer and I sat up and I was like, I think I'm pregnant. And it was just like, you know, just something, I mean, you know, the Holy Spirit was like, psst, (laughs) Rotato, guess what? You got a bun in the oven. Um, So I drove to, I was supposed to meet David that day. I drove to the drugstore. Drove to his work and was like, I'm going to go pee. And I went in the bathroom <laughs> and I took a pregnancy test in the bathroom at Green. I remember standing there and it was one of those moments that was like, I have no idea. Mm. But I that was probably the first time I gave myself space to feel mm. whatever I wanted mm. in that moment. Like ever in my life. Mm. And I remember being like, all right, like here we go. And I think a lot of what created that space was also who David was, because I knew that if I wasn't, then like whatever, um, we then we get to do the the plan that we said we were gonna do. But if I was, there wasn't. So to go back, I had contemplated because of all of my exploits, to use a common turn of phrase. I had contemplated several times, like what would happen if I got pregnant, and a lot of it in my mind was like, well, if I decided to keep the baby. I would not do it with any of, like, I would not have any of these guys involved Mm -hmm. um, because parenting. And I, you know, my family gave me a lot of crap because I had always said I didn't want to be a parent. I, early on in my marriage, I was like, I'm not going to procreate. I'm not going to have kids. (laughs) And I, part, part of the echoes with that, of that were that I knew I had a partner who would not be Mm -hmm. a partner. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I know that when you have a kid, well, sorry, when Anna has a kid, (laughs) she's going to do... Again, all or nothing. It's going to be like, Mm -hmm. if this is what I'm doing, then I'm going to give 100%. Um, I'm going to read all the books. Mm -hmm. I'm going to learn all the things. And I don't know that I want to make the space to do that in my life because it's all or nothing for me. But i knew one of the first things that david ever told me the first time we like sat down and got coffee is he was like i can't wait to be a dad Mm. and so this thing in my heart knew like regardless of what this relationship looks like because at that point i was like i don't know if we're gonna work right right. but i was like this person's gonna be the most amazing dad Mm. to this kid if i am pregnant so all of that thought in that 60 (laughs) seconds it takes for that strip to change because time slows down and uh And it was positive, and I laughed um, out of, like, but it was, like, a joy laugh where I was, like, oh, my gosh, I guess we're doing this. Um, (laughs) And so David had made me, because he was bartending, he had made me a drink, and I, like, sat down at the bar, and I was, like, I can't drink that. (laughs) Um... And, like, stared at it for an hour. And he was like, is it bad? Do you not like it? And I was like, no, it's fine. I just, I don't know. I guess I'm not in the mood. Um, <laughs> yeah, my voice, like, at this higher <laughs> register. The whole time. i was incredible. great at yeah, yeah. He's like, are you okay? <laughs> so on his break, um, we, we went and we talked. And I was like, I really appreciate how much you've been, like, supportive. And that you, like, want to take this slow. Like, that was so kind. Um, and I was like, but I'm pregnant. And he sat there. And that's one of those things I I dislike when women don't give men space to Mm. process. Because I had that 60 seconds and then a little time after to process. Mm. And he sat there in complete and utter silence and straight faced for two minutes. So that I was like, he he could be like, bye Felicia. Or he could be (laughs) like, this is amazing. Or like somewhere in between. And after those two minutes, he just burst into tears and was like, this is amazing. Are you okay? What do you, like, how are you feeling? What do you think about this? But that was when we were like, I guess we're doing this. Like, there's no like waiting. We've just like taken a dive into the deep end as adults. And we're gonna, we're gonna do this. So I would say learning I was pregnant was actually quite a sweet moment Mm -hmm. because I had Mm -hmm. so much faith in who David was to do it the right way as much as I wanted to do it the right Mm -hmm. way, that that wasn't scary. At least I knew I was going to be doing it, like, with someone. Mm. Um,
0: Did that help when you had to go tell other people? There were a couple (laughs) people where I was like, this is going
2: to be easy. And other people where I was like, jeez. So obviously mostly friends. Uh, My friend Lauren, again, had the best reaction overall. Uh, where she, when I told her, she very straight faced, no reaction whatsoever other than, and how do we feel about this? (laughs) And I said, we're really happy. And she was like, that's amazing. I'm happy too. But she like played, she had such a good poker face. um, And I appreciate that so much. But um, both my mom, I, I specifically decided to tell my mom with Leah present. Leah was home from England at the time. And I felt safe going into that with her, with her there. Mm -hmm. And they were both like, they honestly, they were both effusive, like with their reactions, like, wow, this is amazing. Cause you know, kids are a gift, Mm -hmm. um, regardless of how they decide to roll up. Um, and, uh, and they were just like, how far along are you? How are you feeling? And I did wait to tell people until I was in the second trimester. Cause I was like, if this doesn't yeah. happen, I don't want to go through all the stress and pain of yeah.
0: telling people be. and then being
2: like, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> on top of that. <laughs> yeah. Of yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah.
0: Yep. That's that's a, it's a lot.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I'm saying. That's what I'm like. Everyone, like, loosens their collars a little.
0: I think the the amazing thing, though, is you have... What I Like when you hear your conversation, the things that you saw as weak points in your faith, right, mm-hmm. are actually such solid human points of your life. Yeah. And so it's like these things that almost may have damaged your faith mm-hmm. are the exact same things that brought you back and allow you to live a very wise life now. Like a very yeah. intuitive and understanding and empathetic. Like it's these things that almost just were not truly... I don't want to say blossom because that's not it's not attacking your family at all, but it's like if they weren't the things that were cared for in the beginning mm-hmm. to show, hey, Anna, these are strengths. They mm-hmm. may struggle, right? You might struggle right. right now, but these are beautiful qualities of who you are. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think that's what's sometimes hard for us just as humans, right? Like I often, right, I'm a nose nosy. I'm curious, but I'm someone who will... Ask, well, why? I always knew God, like, needed me to be saved from birth Mm -hmm. because I would have been one of the hardest people to convince.
2: Right. Because
0: I literally would have been like, but that doesn't actually make sense. Like, and now, like, seeing my life and how I really felt very called from a young age, it's still, like... The qualities, I go through this with, and you probably understand this with Morgan, being a parent, like, sometimes friends and family joke about these qualities of Crosby, and they, like, make it sound like they're negative because they're my, like, my qualities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Sorry. I'm like, No, I know. I know. But it's, like, one of those things where often I just want to be like, yeah, but I prayed for these qualities, and I know the outcome of them. Come on. They may struggle in the development of them. But, like, I prayed for a leader, right? It,
2: and they might not struggle, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Alert. <laughs> exactly. Yep.
0: exactly. And it's just, like, we prayed for a leader. Raising a leader is intense, but we mm-hmm. prayed for one. And so you're, like, I just think it's beautiful that, like, the qualities you had really were not a detriment to you.
2: Absolutely not.
0: You know? It yeah. was just the language
2: in which they developed. So and they needed refining. Right. You know, that's right. – and I, I, would, I would take the refinement over anything else because I – you know, the journey of like therapy and growing and everything. But now I'm just like, what a cool, two different times in my life, I've had to write a letter to a younger version of myself. Mm -hmm. um, Both of which were beyond healing experiences. They were just really eye-opening of how tenderly Mm -hmm. I spoke to this person. And I was like, wow, like if I'm th- I have to reconcile the fact that if I'm this kind and loving towards a younger version of myself, I have to be that way with who I am now yeah. because that's, th- that's the same person. I can't dissociate yep. those people from each other mm-hmm. despite my desire to. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I absolutely hear what you're saying. And I do think that a lot of my hang-ups grew into this amazing thing mm-hmm. of th- like these amazing gifts of wisdom and like looking at things from all angles i was gonna say discernment but i'm not gifted with discernment <laughs> and uh,
0: even in just the language being a writer the way yeah, that yeah. through your journey now you have picture evidence of the life you came through yeah because of your writing because yeah. of this gifting that was given to you it's now something that you can so clearly see an image mm. of your timeline and yeah. god's hand even in all those moments yeah i mean the way
2: god brought me back was through my writing that's so awesome.
1: yeah mm and alas, our perfect cliffhanger. Babes, we are going to hear exactly how Anna found her way back to her faith and the journey into motherhood on next
0: week's part two episode. You've been listening to Beverage Babes, and we hope you've enjoyed a sip of something good listening to these women open their hearts. Our
1: hope is that after listening to today's episode, you leave inspired, encouraged, and challenged to celebrate each other no matter what season of life you're
0: in. If you're looking for any of the recipes to our babes favorite drinks, want to read more about our guests or get to know us, Sarah and Laura, a little better, head over to beveragebabespodcast.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at beveragebabespodcast. Now, raise your glasses.
1: Cheers. Cheers!